Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? Y'all, I got something special today. I've brought in a special guest. A guest that, frankly, I could have asked to be on Tech Stuff for numerous reasons. I could have asked him because he's a content creator. He's a podcaster. He's a co-founder of an incredibly popular uh, uh, network of content. He is an organizer for massive charity events that work with organizations like Extra Life. I mean, the list goes on and on. But the reason I asked him here is because he's also a lifelong connoisseur of theme parks and a former Disney cast member. Welcome to Tech Stuff, Mr. Jack Patillo. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, geez. Thank you for all of the uh, the list of things I've done. I've never felt older than I do right now. Oh, how about how about I hit you with this, Jack? It has been 20 years since you worked for Disney. <laughs> oh my gosh. This yeah. This is the I, 20th I, so year. 
2002, man. It was it was spring of 2002 is when I was out there the first time. I, I so I worked. I did the Walt Disney World College program, so uh, which is a fantastic program. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it if you're a college kid looking to uh, not have responsibility for a semester. I did it twice. I did it back in 2002 and again in 2005. And uh, both of the rides I worked on are shut down now which is sad. I worked over at, um, it was Disney MGM Studios. Now it's Disney's Hollywood Studios. I worked at the Great Movie Ride, which is now Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And I worked at the Backlot Tour, specifically the water tank portion, where I got to talk about Michael Bay and Pearl Harbor. And um, that is now uh, where uh, Batu is, where all of the uh, the Star Wars stuff is. Or So it's, I think between there, maybe Toy Story Land. It's kind of like in that general area. It's basically, it's just walking path now where I was. Right. It's 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 one of the hottest sections of the park when you're out there because there's absolutely no shade and it's it's just a, a, a massive cooking surface that has tourists on it. Uh yeah, and I, I thought today we could talk a bit about the great movie ride in particular and talk because there were some really cool innovative technologies that were incorporated into that experience. But I also want to hear from you as a cast member who worked on the ride, what the cast member experience was, because as someone who has had been on that ride many times uh, throughout its run, including early on in the earliest days of uh, Disney MGM studios, uh, I know what it's like to ride the ride, but what was it like to (laughs) work on the ride? So first of all, can you kind of give us an overview of what the great movie ride was? Sure. My my pitch for the great movie ride after someone would walk up after after a guest would walk up and say, is this a ride? And it's like, it's called the great movie ride. Yes, it is a ride. It's a slow moving tram ride through the movies It's 22 minutes long, uh, never goes more than four miles per hour. And uh, yeah, and there are live actors. It's it's one of the few it's well, at the time, it was one of the few um, uh, tour toured or excuse me, guided attractions. So mm-hmm. like a uh, jungle cruise, um, the Kilimanjaro safaris over at Animal Kingdom. Those are really the only ones left at the time. King Kong over at Universal Studios had it as well. And we were a guided tour. You had a host that would stand there and spiel. And then uh, at one point, you know, it would change up. But it was a, a, a slow moving ride that takes you through some of the most classic movies of all time, uh, from Singing in the Rain to Mary Poppins to kind of the gangster era, uh, Westerns, Aliens, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Wizard of Oz, all, all kinds of amazing things with uh, some really awesome animatronics. Um, well, when I describe the ride, I would always say this is the ride that Walt Disney would have made if he had access to these fancy animatronics. Uh, it, it felt like very right. much a classic Disney ride. And I always love that. And a lot of people, they were fans. They, they weren't as big of fans. because It's not a thrill ride. It's not a huge, um, you know, like it's not it's not a, you know, like rock and roller coaster. It's nothing super, super fast. But I liked it because it kind of it was informative. It looked informative. You got to learn a little bit about movies. And uh, and also it was, you got some spectacle. You some like these magical things happen. And um, and it's all over the course of 22 minutes. So it tells a nice little story compact within the ride and uh I, I really really loved it and it's sad to see it go mickey and minnie is nice like it's it's a fun ride it's, it's kind of cool that we got replaced by the very first mickey mouse theme park ride ever which is kind of cool and uh that's coming out to to mm-hmm. anaheim as well now pretty soon but uh but yeah it's um it, it was a very special attraction and i and i miss it and it, but at least the facade is still there i still have my memories of the uh, the chinese theater out in uh, disney's hollywood studios and so uh, and there's there's lots of little fun Easter eggs out in front, even even things that are still there to this day. But um, I don't know if there's any any Easter eggs inside of Mickey and Minnie's of the great movie ride. You know, like I'm sure there's something hidden away, squirreled away somewhere that I just don't know about. 
But um, but yeah, it's it's it was a good time. It was a lot of fun time. It was, it was one of my favorite sort of times in my life. I was I think 20 years old. I had no responsibility. I drove out from Texas all the way out to Orlando and had a great time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the theming was phenomenal. You had, like you mm. said, the Chinese theater as the facade. Uh, they couldn't actually use Grauman's Chinese theater as the name because Grauman's wouldn't uh, allow that. But it was the Chinese theater and it looked like it did back in the golden age of Hollywood, uh, complete with yeah. uh, celebrity handprint and footprints outside in the in the sidewalk cement. And then you had actual movie memorabilia and props that were in the queuing area. So you could actually see like the arc from Raiders of the Lost Ark and things of that nature. And you also were shown trailers for some of the movies that were going to be featured within the actual ride itself. And as you say, Jack, it told a story, which to me was was the thing that Disney did better than anyone else for the longest time. Now we've started to see other parks kind of pick up that torch and run with it. But for the longest time, Disney was just that was the king when it came to an attraction that also tells a story. And not only that, but puts the guest into the story. You're not just watching it. You're kind of immersed in it as you're going through all these different scenes. And uh, as a cast member, what, what were some of your duties? Like what roles did you work when you were working on that ride? Yeah. So when I was there, they actually were just bringing in a new system. I think it's called CRS. It was a computer system that uh, they would give you a list of roles. So they would input a list of roles into this computer and the computer would track who needs to go on break, who needs to go on lunch and stuff like that. So if you were on break, you know, once you were done, you would go to this machine and you say, I'm back and it would print out a slip. And that slip would say, you go to position A, and then you go there, hand the slip off to that person. They would then move to position B and then waterfall down. So the person at the bottom would then take break, which actually was pretty cool because you never stood in one spot for too long. You were always moving around. It was always kind of fresh. You never really got tired of it. Um, but, I mean, we did everything on the attraction. The uh, the, the main tour guides or the people, the suspenders and the hat. Um, they would do everything from running the vehicles, like dry or like uh, driving the vehicles, doing the spiel, um, to all the to working the fronts, like working entrance as well. So we would put on this orange jacket that would go on over our tour guide outfit and change our hats like this orange hat, and that was like our our host spot basically. <laughs> um, the only thing a, a typical cast member wouldn't do on Great Movie Ride was be the bandit or the gangster. Those were specialized roles that if you were the bandit, you were the bandit all day. If you were the gangster, you were the some, I mean, you were the gangster all day, but basically those roles, but they would be trained for both of them. The, the cast members would be trained for both of those roles. Um, at the time when I was there, college program uh, employees or uh, cast members couldn't be the bandit or the gangster. I think they changed that later on just due to staffing stuff. Um, but that which, which was sad because I always wanted to um, be the bandit or gangster. But you actually had to be firearm trained in order mm. to be either of those characters because they did have an actual pistol that fired blanks. And um, yeah, that that was uh, the one thing that I'm going to do. But, you know, everyone, everyone there was family. Everyone knew everyone like the it, it was a, it was a healthy mix of these old timers that have been around. I say old timers, but people that have been around, you know, for like five to ten years. Uh, we had a gentleman there who opened the attraction back in 89, who was still there in 2002. Um, and then a bunch of college kids. So like basically they would keep it. We would keep it fresh because every six months or so there'd be new new blood. And so it never got really boring. And uh, and even when I was there, I did the, the extended one. So I went from January all the way to August. So I saw like summer kids coming in and like the new batch of people coming in for the fall semester. And it was just fun. It was it was just a blast. 
And um, yeah, I mean, there, there's some really cool things that the, the cast members got to do. Now, uh, one, one, my first bit of, of trivia for you. So the vehicles themselves, they were on a track. You mm-hmm. couldn't see the track. It was actually a, um, it, it, there was like sensors in the vehicle and the, the vehicle would turn and there was an invisible track kind of in between. There was nothing connecting the actual vehicle to the floor, but it would mm-hmm. just kind of stay on top of it. I don't know the full technology behind it. Um, so it was kind of like Rise of the Resistance where there's just like a trackless course, except there was like a line of metal or something. There was something keeping it where it needed to go. But the tech guys there, the, the engineers who worked in the attraction, which they actually we had a whole engineering bay where they would fix up vehicles and fix animatronics and stuff. Um, those guys could actually disable that and literally drive it around. Like hypothetically, they could have taken one of those things out into the park and just driven it around <laughs> if they wanted to, which would have been amazing. But, uh, but no, it's uh, so that was kind of cool. And the, the vehicles themselves, they were uh, seven rows. There were, there was two, two vehicles. There was basically, it's technically a tractor trailer where you mm-hmm. have the, the front vehicle had all the, the, the motors and everything in it. And the back trailer, the back vehicle was literally just a trailer, had nothing in it other than wheels. And so the front one would pull it. Um, there were four speeds on it. So it was either stopped one, two, three, or four. And depending on where we were in the track, we would go with those different speeds. And, um, and also the track could, it could, it could actually activate different speeds. So like at some points, if you put it on four, it would just go. And then there were sensors that would trigger it to actually slow down the vehicle to a stop. So like, you know, you could be focused on spieling and the ride itself would come to a stop and then you would throw it into park. Like it, it wouldn't just kick off on its own. You have to throw it in park and restart it to get it to go again. And that was important when you were spieling going to like, you know, the like gangster alley or, or bandit area. And, um, but yeah, I'm like, God, man, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of all the Easter eggs. It's been it's been 20 years, been two decades since I've been out there, man. So, <laughs> well, you're doing great. I mean, I can give a little more context with the, sure. the ride system. So uh, the the system that was under essentially under the floor, really embedded in the floor was a guide wire that would emit radio frequency radiation. So just radio waves. Radiation not, scares people. Not just, radiation. <laughs> yeah. well, it is radiation because it is part of the electromagnetic frequency, but it's not like radioactive. There is a difference. Okay. Um, yeah, we're talking non-ionizing. Don't worry, Jack. The Great Movie Ride <laughs> did not did not doom you. No. Uh, okay. Good. The it, it's just radio frequency radiation. So it's it's RF. It's like the same sort of thing you would use for walkie talkies or radios or anything along those lines. And the the trams had within them essentially uh, sensors that could pick up that frequency. And if the frequency would start to drift, like if it started to get too weak on one side, that was a signal to the tram that it needed to make an adjustment and turn in order to return the signal to its strongest point in the center of its sensors. So it gets a little weak on the right side. That means it's time for you to turn left because your signal is actually moving to your left. That was the basic idea. So it was really just following this this wire all the way through the attraction, which was almost like uh, something like 2000 feet long, something like that. It was crazy how long long it was. Like you said, 22 minutes for the whole thing. Yeah, the the vehicles themselves, too, uh, they were all electric. Mm -hmm. And so there were pads throughout the attraction at different points where you would stop that magnets would actually connect the the batteries to the charger. So at the dock, the, the the vehicles would park and an actual like magnet would pull the charger up to the bottom of the vehicle in order to actually charge up the vehicle. And that there, there were different spots throughout the ride that it would do that. So it would do it there at dock. It would do it in front of the gangster area, in front of the bandit area in front of Anubis, which was the scene where uh, the, 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 the bandit or the gangster would go up and turn back into the, 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 t- the cast member. 
And um, I want to say Wizard of Oz had one, and then in the finale had one. I might, that may be too many. I think we could have five vehicles running at the same time. So maybe not Anubis, but... Um, but yeah, there were uh, there were a whole lot of them, <laughs> and and we would park them at night. So like they, we would basically when we were shutting off for the night, you would take all the vehicles and put them in spurt, certain spots, park them, and then they would just recharge overnight. Like I don't, when I was there, we never had a vehicle die due to battery loss. Mm. Um, so that's I, I imagine is a good sign because those things were big and they were very heavy. So moving them without power would be pretty tricky, I imagine. Right. When you think of fourteen rows filled with people, that's a lot of extra weight on top of the fact that these things are so <laughs> big and bulky. So, uh, yeah, especially if there's a guest like me, I'm pandemic has not been kind, Jack, of carrying around <laughs> extra pounds. But that is a great point. I love that you brought that in because that was something I did not actually come across in my research. I didn't even think mm. about it, but of course it makes sense. I mean, if you're running on an electric vehicle, you have to be able to at least top off the charge a little bit so that you can run it for as long as the park is open. And as we know, Disney parks can be open for many, many hours. We'll be back with more about the great movie ride and Disney theme parks after this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare when you think about the future what kind of technology do you envision whatever the future holds artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. This ride system was originally developed over at the Universe of Energy at Epcot, another attraction that no longer exists. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy has has replaced that area, but it, it was called the Traveling Theater. And for the Universe of Energy, it was more uh, it was more of a necessity because they had so many different uh, moving theaters. These did not have an actual like tour guide as part of it either that they needed to be able to orient themselves properly to become kind of like theater seating for the movie sections of the attraction and then go back into uh, a configuration where they can move through the rest of it. So you had to have almost this sort of ballet of these mm-hmm. large pieces moving and they determined they couldn't use physical tracks. If they did, they would have to have a switching system to switch each one physically to where it needed to go. And it was just going to be too complicated, too loud and too expensive. And so they had to invent a technology. So necessity (laughs) is the mother of invention. Later on, as I understand it, they actually replaced the guide wire with uh, electronic pucks that essentially did the same thing. It just wasn't a continuous wire anymore, but served the same purpose. And I'm glad that you were able to work on it in that span of time. Uh, Obviously it was a little different from when it first opened the very first, uh, 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 sequence that you encounter when you're on the ride after you've entered into the movie section is a uh, 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 Busby Berkeley footlight parade uh, experience. When that originally opened, the characters that you see behind a scrim, the birthday cake, <laughs> the birthday cake, originally <laughs> those rotated, right? You had. Yeah. Every other one would rotate. Yeah, Busby Berkeley, he was he was known for doing he was actually a drill sergeant in the military and he ended up making movies in Hollywood when they were all about spectacle. And so he would do these elaborate choreographed numbers with hundreds of people. And uh, in Footlight Parade, there was a scene where it was a whole like uh, it was a pool scene. So it was all these women in matching swimsuits and they would do choreographed dances in water and stuff. And one of the scenes the they came out of the water in this sort of birthday cake looking thing it was three tiers with women you know uh, like in circles around it and so we had that that was the first thing you saw when you first pulled into the great movie ride back in 89 when it opened you would that was like you would go in go through this beautiful proscenium all in neon of you know like because the idea is you're entering the movie so it's like you go through the screen and you're part of the movie now and uh yeah right there on your right side initially apparently there was water and there were bubbles and these these things would spin and it was awesome. They, the actual they weren't animatronics because they were just mannequins because there were so many of them. Uh, but, yeah, apparently that was the the big thing that would falter the most. It kept breaking over and over and over again. So ultimately, they just ended up kind of locking it in place. And I think initially they just they left the bubbles going. And then ultimately, they ended up putting a scrim in front of it and projecting images of them kind of doing their different dances and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would imagine that trying to rig up a rotating fountain, which is essentially what you had there, uh, is complicated on the best of days. And, and (laughs) there are stories that there were frequent issues where 
there would be flooding and that would obviously be a, a, a problem for moving giant electric trams through. And uh, yeah, it, you can understand why they nixed that after some some troubles, but it is kind of sad because it was one of those um, nifty effects that you couldn't see anywhere else. And it also was the first thing you saw on this journey to the movies. Scaled Back has slightly less of an impact, I think, uh, as far as the effect goes. But then you move on and you start to encounter the various animatronics. And there, there are two major types uh, in the ride. The most famous, arguably, being the Wicked Witch of the West in the Wizard of Oz segment, because mm -hmm. she was the very first A100 animatronic that Disney ever used. So like the Terminator, <laughs> there are designations for different generations of animatronics. And this was, was the first of the A100 generation, which I, I'm sure you got schooled on all of that as you were uh. joining the attraction. A little bit. I mean, we knew she was special because the the amount of movement and like she had like dexterity in her fingers. That was mm -hmm. a big thing because she would point at you, which was great. Um, it was interesting, though, because she was by far the most uh, elaborate animatronic at any of the parks for a while. And she was saddled up next to the the munchkins who were some of the most basic animatronics mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. And one, one fun one fun story is when before we opened or when we were closing for the night, we'd still rotate the vehicles through and the show scenes would still happen, but there'd be no sound. And so if you know anything about old Disney animatronics, when the servos to open the mouths would go, it would just make these clicking noise. So you'd pull in the Wizard of Oz, be sitting there. It was quiet. And all of a sudden, you know, they'd be follow the Olympic road. But you wouldn't hear that. You just hear the click, 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 click. It's from like all <laughs> around you. It was really a bit disheartening. Um, yeah. And that, that was definitely weird. Definitely strange. That I think that was probably the scariest thing outside of Toto. When Toto was off she would just look at you like the, the she had like these crazy fangs. I think Toto was a female, but she would have these crazy <laughs> fangs and she just looked like demented. It was, it was, it was really weird, but, uh, but yeah, that was fun. Uh, I've heard a story. I don't know if it's true or not. I have no way to verify this, but apparently, so, um, you know, the wicked witch, she would move around a whole lot, lots of movement. She had her broom, she would point and stuff. Supposedly one day, um, something got loose and she basically whipped her arm around and her wrist snapped and her hand just kind of dangled off and the hydraulic fluid in her wrist started just hosing down the ride vehicle in front of her. So essentially, like she broke her wrist and it started spraying all of the guests with with her blood. Essentially, that was one of the the very few uh, shut the ride down and just evacuate from where you're where you're positioned. Um, mm. We would have multiple times where we'd have to shut the ride down because something like minor would happen where we just rotate through the people that were stalling the attraction. There's not enough to, like, you know, kick people out, but. Occasionally a door would break and it's like, well, we're not moving. And, you know, it was a thing where you would have to move out of a section for the next vehicle to move in. And when those happen, those are always fun. They only happened to me twice over the the, the eight months or so I was there where, um, you know, you would ask the guests to stay there. And then, you know, ultimately you'd have to go make sure like a manager would come by like, OK, go ahead and clear them out. And then they would open the doors. And I always made it a big point of any time, like the two times that happened, they said, if that happens, you need to make sure your guests are happy. So if they want to go take photos with Clint Eastwood, let them go take photos with Clint Eastwood. As long as they're not climbing on anything, they can do whatever they want. And so some people out there have some really good photos of like John Wayne and his giant horse. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like standing over by gangster area that is like, oh yeah, you, you, you're not normally supposed to be there. So um, that was always a big thing. You know, it was, it was always about like going out of your way to be like, Hey, we had an issue. Sorry. You know, at the, at the time I was there, great movie ride didn't have fast pass. So it was kind of like, 
you know, come come back when you can. We'd love to have you back. Mm-hmm. My dog yeah. is losing its mind downstairs. That's yeah, fine. Mine is too. It's it's they're just <laughs> they're just co-hosting. That's fine. They're excited. Yeah. The uh it's it's that also reminds me, like I've only had that sort of experience happen at Disney, I think maybe two times. Once when I was this happens pretty regularly, but I was on the people mover when the lights on space mountain were all on. So you can actually oh, see cool. the the track and it's, it's insane how closely and tightly packed that track is to the point where you're thinking, I'm going to ride this differently. The next time I'm on, everything's <laughs> going to get tucked in because oh, yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. Like the, the reentry tube, you can just touch it. I can just reach up and touch it. It's like, that should not happen. And like, I imagine now, like legally that couldn't happen. I'm sure it's grandfathered in by something, but like there's, yeah. you can just reach out and touch stuff on that track. And when you're pitch black and you can't see anything, like you hit something at speed, that's not good. So right. I can imagine the amount of padding they have on all of the, all the, the various support structures that you can't see typically. Yeah. I, the only other time it ever happened was on uh, Flights of Passage, the Avatar ride, where oh, wow. it, it it just the the video shut down. Maybe like we were maybe 30 seconds from the end of the ride. Maybe uh, it was my first time ever riding it. So I didn't know at the time. But I was like, well, we've been going for a while. This thing was probably <laughs> about to wrap up. And a cast member came on and there happened to be in the group that we were in um, a VIP group who had spent a a huge amount of money in order to do this. So they had us sit there. They restarted the ride. We rode the whole. So I rode, I got to ride it 1.8 times my first time. (laughs) And then as we're leaving, they gave us all like, like a priority fast pass, digital fast passes. Cause that was when we were getting to the point where we're using magic bands. Um, So yeah, Disney really does go a long way to trying to, to make the guest experience magical, as they say. They, they so, certain, certainly did. I don't know yeah. how much that, it seems like nowadays things are, you know, if you a little can, different. if there is a way they can, yeah, if there's a way they can charge you for it, they're going to charge <laughs> you for it. If you can afford um, for it to be magical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I still have my annual pass. I, I still, you mm-hmm. know, I, I'm a, you know, multi-year annual pass holder. I still yep. enjoy going to the parks. I participate in the run Disney events. I do a lot of stuff through Disney, but it feels like as of late, they've kind of let stuff slide. And that's frustrating to me right. as, 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 you know, as an annual pass, as a fan, mm-hmm. it's just like, it feels like, especially right now, uh, Disney is at a point where they think that like, they're kind of sitting back and like, we're just making lots of money and people love all of our stuff. And I don't think they're looking down the road. Like right now, literally down the road, down I-4, Universal's building a brand new theme park that's opening up in 2025. That's going to be the new hotness. And unless Disney literally announces something at D23 this week or next week that, hey, we're going to have something to counter that, they're going to be caught with their pants down, I think. It's it's yeah. going to be very interesting the next, you know, the, the, the mid-2020s of theme parks in Orlando is going to be very, very interesting. And I don't know how much longer Disney can just kind of rest on their laurels of what they've gotten away with so far. Yeah. Anyway, that has nothing to do with great movie ride, but that's a, well, a nice kind little of does. side. It kind of does because there, there've been ebbs and flows at the Disney yeah. parks, right? It all depends on really the executive leadership team and, and who, how they, they value uh, investing in the parks versus kind of, you know, coasting on that perhaps and, and focusing on other parts of the company and that obviously changes on various regimes. There was a period, a dark period 
in the Walt Disney World past where essentially all the executives who were in charge of the parks came from retail. They came from places mm-hmm. like Banana Republic. And that was when we saw Main Street in, in Magic Kingdom get gutted where all the things that used to be there, like the Penny Arcade and things that added character, but they didn't generate revenue, were essentially stripped out so that you had just very long shops on either side. (laughs) The the mega emporium. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there are issues like that that have been going on for a while. So it's not like this is a, a sudden decline, but it's certainly the pandemic kind of brings things into sharp relief because you can see how things were going pre pandemic versus Disney's response to the pandemic and then post pandemic. Uh, I mean, I don't really think we're in post pandemic, but everyone else seems to argue we are. So (laughs) it's also, I mean, the thing is now, right, you know, right now it's, we're getting this bounce because we had two years of people basically not going on vacation, saving up Mm -hmm. all their money. And I mean, or not going anywhere and, and saving up money. And now we're seeing people spend that money. It's like, Oh, we, we, we've been locked up for two years. Let's go to Disney world. And so I think we're seeing this sort of this uh, this false positive kind of thing where I think like right now it's like Disney's like, oh, my gosh, record profits and huge numbers going to the parks. And it's like that's not going to sustain, I I don't think. And, you know, like Tron is going to bring some people back. But after that, it's kind of what do you got, man? I mean, like Cosmic Rewind was a lot of fun, but Epcot is a wreck right now. Yep. And I mean, then you see stuff. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I love Epcot and seeing. You know, Harmonious is a, is a great show, but those barges, mm-hmm. I, like Eisner never would have let those barges be out in the water. Like that ruins so many sight lines. Mm-hmm. And e- even like, I mean, it, it's just, I'm going off on a weird tangent <laughs> here, but it's kind of, it, it feels like, you know, Disney from what I knew growing up, like I was, I, I went to Disney parks when I was, you know, a kid in the nineties mm-hmm. and I have amazing rose colored memories of that. And then working there in the early two thousands, like that was sort of like the cherry on top. And now as an adult, I can go back and I can appreciate it from a different perspective. And I understand a lot of these decisions, but I don't think they're the right decisions to be made, you know? Sure. Sure. And so it's, it's kind of like, like, Oh, well, you know, this sort of the, you know, you can have a one slice of cake now or wait, you know, two hours to have a full cake, you know, they're like, they just want their slice of cake right now. And it's like, no, 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 you gotta get prep for this day. You got, you got to have it over multiple years. You got to look at, you know, uh, Anyway. Well, because if you get to a point where you have uh, you have disheartened people like yourself and my, I'm also an mm-hmm. annual pass holder. Uh, I'm also a Disney Vacation Club member. So, Ooh. yeah. So so I have spent <laughs> a lot of money with Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mouse House. Uh, so but yeah, you, you start to you start to feel like the what you might have thought of as an investment before. It's almost like when you go to a really expensive college and then afterward you get a letter from them saying, hey, can you donate money? I'm like, dude, I gave you so much money. (laughs) I don't need to give you more money. We'll be right back with more about the great movie ride and related stuff after this break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. 
Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. One of the things I found very disheartening personally from uh, the old Disney MGM studio to what we are today with Disney Hollywood Studios is something that I also feel affects Epcot, which is that you start to see kind of a, a, a an eroding of identity in that yeah. when the park opened in 1989, it was very clearly oriented toward we're going to talk about movies and television production. Uh, the attractions all relate to that. We have experiences that are about sound effects or visual effects. We have an animation studio, a working animation studio, where you could actually see animators drawing cells of upcoming movies. Um, and you had the backstage tour. You actually had a backlot where real productions were being shot. Um, which honestly caused some problems because MGM initially didn't agree to that <laughs> and that caused some licensing <laughs> issues, but, but they worked that out. They settled out of court, yeah. but, uh, but it means that over time, you know, they have gotten rid of all the different elements with the exception of, they still have the Chinese theater facade. So that's still in the theme. They still have streets that are named after streets in, in Los Angeles. So that's still kind of in the theme, but, uh, other than that, Hollywood Studios doesn't have very much studios-related stuff in it. It's more like Toy Story and Star Wars and that kind of thing. Um, so I was wondering about your perspective on that, too. Do you? Maybe I'm crazy and I just feel like there's kind of a loss of coherence with park identity. But do you have a similar 
feeling about that as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly that. I mean, when when the studios opened, it was it was meant to replicate a working film production studio, you know. And so, I mean, even like the buildings, like, you know, the great movie ride, the building it's in, it was like actually a stage number and they would call it like stage, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And those still might technically be numbered. Um, but yeah, it, it's over time. I mean, I'm not one to like I know the the idea that, you know, the theme parks are meant to be like a living document where you can change it and you can alter it over mm-hmm. time. But it certainly does feel like they have lost an overall tone. I mean, other than like, you know, initially it was Disney MGM Studios and it was meant to be like, here's how things are made. And I I love that stuff. Like, I remember going uh, on the animation tour and I think they were working on the Emperor's New Groove. Uh, at the time and I think I forget what it was titled when I went there but they had that big window and they push a button and it would suddenly go clear and they'd see all these animators working I think they called it the fishbowl the animators said they hated it apparently but like being there (laughs) was so cool and like the backlot tour I remember I like the the original backlot tour was like four hours long it was wild because there were so many different things actually they they would take you around in the tram but then there was a walking portion where they show you special effects and how they were made I got to ride on the bee from Honey I Shrunk the Kids and they did a whole green screen thing and like I got to be on it and they like spliced me into the movie. It was awesome. I love that. And um, but like the water tank portion was there and uh, and then slowly they started removing it. Like then they they, they actually had I think uh, the Mickey Mouse Club was shot there for a bit. Um, back in 2002, one of the stages over by uh, over by the back lot was actually the uh, who wants to be a millionaire. They actually had a who wants to be a millionaire replica set with, when they weren't shooting in L.A. or New York. When they weren't shooting in New York, they would come down and Regis would come down and they'd host the show from Florida. But when they weren't using it for production, they would actually it turned into an actual uh, like a, an attraction people could go to. So you could actually play who wants to be a millionaire and see how it was made. It was 100 percent exactly what they used in the show, which I thought was really cool. Um, and one of, one of my favorite stories when I worked at the backlot tour in 2005, by then, uh, the, the whole walking portion of the attraction was gone. It was just the water tank section. And then you would move on to the tram tour, which would take you through the residential area. And then it would take you over to catastrophe Canyon. Um, but the walking portion was gone, but the buildings were still there. And in the employee restroom area, there was an entrance, like there was basically a back entrance into the the walking portion where they would have like I think at the when they finished it it was the uh, 101 Dalmatians live action stuff mm-hmm. so they showed how they did all the animatronics with the with the, the dogs and everything but every single time I would use the restroom I would check that door and it was always locked always locked every single time I was there for six months always locked literally my last night I was working there checked the door and it opened and I was like oh and like I opened the door and I was just like oh my gosh and I walked in and I they if you remember it was kind of like a pit where it was a circle and you would like they all the guests would be around the circle and they'd look down into this pit and then a, a cast member would show off all the tech they actually had like foot plates where they would step on things to make things trigger and all the plates were still there all the animatronics were gone but all the plates were still there and all like the shelves and everything and then up they had all of this storage of old props so like I I remember when I was a kid, I saw Johnny five from short circuit Two, like the gold one. He was up on mm. one of the, uh, like up on one of the, the big racks. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And a lot of that stuff was still there. Like a lot of the props were still there. And it was just like one of those moments, like I, I did it. I cracked into it. And it was one of my favorite things. <laughs> one of my favorite memories that in, uh, right before I did my, when I, when I got my last clock out, uh, before I had to go actually clock out from the computer, I had them hold the next backlot tour show, the, the water tank show. I had them hold the show. And then I did a flip into the pool. And then I walked out. 
And so, uh, and then my manager just came tearing around the corner because he heard someone had fallen in, and I'm just dripping wet. And he's like, "What happened?" I'm like, oh, "I dove in." He goes, "Oh, come on!" And I'm like, "It's my last day." And he's like, "All right, well, thanks for working here." Because I was, I was, I was, I was, I enjoyed what I did. I, I love performing. Like, if you can't mm-hmm. tell, I enjoy being in front of in front of people. And you know, that's that's what really drew me to the great movie ride mm-hmm. was the idea of performing and actually having like. I can affect someone's enjoyment of an attraction. And mm-hmm. I I love everyone I worked with, but there were a few people that is like, oh man, like I like when I'd see someone hosting one of the like hosting a ride, I'd be like, oh, those people aren't gonna get the best show. Cause you know, you can read a script so many different ways, mm-hmm. and some people would kind of just go through the motions. And it's like, no, whereas like I would, you know, put some put some drama into it, you know, put some effort into it. And I I would love doing that. And um, I also just really enjoyed talking in microphones. <laughs> that was always my thing in the pre-show area in the, where the theater was, uh, which is still in Mickey and Minnie's. What, you go through the Chinese theater, you go through, you, you enter in through the, the main doors of the, the Grauman Chinese theater or the Chinese theater. And then you turn left and everything like basically all of that hasn't been touched at all. Like that was all exactly how it was when it was a great movie ride. But as soon as you kind of round the corner is where it all sorts sort of changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you eventually do a couple switchbacks, and then the cast member will tell you to go to like you know go to theater one, go to theater two, go to theater three. All of those were empty, and that's where the big theater was, and that's where the big projection theater was, where the trailers you were talking about earlier. But there was a microphone at that at the booth for that one because that's where you would basically hold people before you load because the dock was the next door. You'd have a door, it'd open, you'd load them up, and you'd close the door, watch the movie. You know, five minutes later, reopen it, et cetera, et cetera. Do that over and over again. Mm. But that microphone on that desk for some reason made my voice sound so good. <laughs> I love that microphone so much. Because it had like it, it really picked up the bass and it just sounded good. This because it was like a theater and so it mm-hmm. sounded so nice. And my biggest compliment I ever got was when I'd be there, you know, hosting in the uh, in the, right before load, and I do my spiel at the at the podium, like you know, like in just a few moments here, the ride will start or whatever. And people would come down and say like. I thought that was a pre-recorded thing. I didn't realize that was you doing it live. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. So that's why we have I don't to know have what it was about the acoustics in that room or that microphone, whatever it was, that that magic. It was it was awesome. It's gonna be great to have you on the monorail and you can give the the spiel <laughs> uh, just before the doors close. Oh the por favor manténgase alejado de las puertas. Yes. It's my my one line of Spanish I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the uh, that that is also again the getting back to the story part of the great movie ride. The fact that you had this sort of this interactive element, I thought one of the most fascinating things as a guest riding the ride was that this was an experience where the tour guide that you were with was interacting not just with other humans but also with some of the animatronics as well. So. There was a lot of different acting. There was acting off other cast members and there was acting off the pre-recorded and pre-programmed uh, animatronic figures like the Wicked Witch of the West. And I thought that was just brilliant because it really brought that immersion, that magic in there, showing the uh, incredible ingenuity of the the engineers who created these these uh, devices. Uh, getting back to the Wicked Witch of the West, there was a point where she was uh, augmented she was already really advanced by the time that the attraction opened. She was the most advanced animatronic that Disney had up to that point. Uh, they had a, developed a system a little a couple of years before they unveiled her called Compliance. 
And this gets back to the hydraulics you were talking about. Uh, the hydraulic system allowed for smooth movement and analog movement. So you, so you could have a range of motion. With uh, the old pneumatic systems that the Enchanted Tiki Room had, you had two positions. You had open and closed, right? Like the, the mm -hmm. beaks would open and they would close, but you couldn't halfway open a beak because you're using an air piston to do it, right? It's a solenoid yeah. and an air piston. And if you've ever listened carefully in the Enchanted Tiki Room, you can hear that air, uh, you know, propelling everything that's in there. And that old system was brilliant. The reason they called it audio animatronics is they would record audio tones on, originally it was film, later it would be magnetic tape. And the audio tones would make a reed vibrate that would close a circuit and that would allow the circuit to uh, activate the solenoid or the, the pneumatic uh, valves that would then have the beaks open and closed. Brilliant, easy, wow. uh, simple solution, except for the fact that you have all these tubes everywhere. Um, but they never went with hydraulics for the birds because, like the Wicked Witch example you gave, Jack, they didn't want the birds to possibly mess on guests <laughs> if there was a hydraulic leak. You know, air doesn't leak. Or, I mean, it's not going to drip yeah. on you, so you're fine. But, um, yeah, once you get up to the Wicked Witch, she was on hydraulics and the compliance was meant to be kind of a shock absorbing system so that you could do these more dramatic movements, but you wouldn't put so much stress on the figure that it wears out in like a season and you would have to do a full refurb on it. So this, the, the brilliance to me of the engineering process was not just that they were figuring out new ways to animate these characters in three dimensional space, but they were also already thinking about if we do this, it's going to cause more wear and tear. How are we going to address that so that we limit downtime and the amount of money we have to spend on maintenance? And it's that kind of engineering that I find really fascinating. Um, and later on, they would introduce the A1000 animatronics. Those are the ones you see in places like Galaxy's Edge. You see it over uh, on the Smuggler's Run ride. Um, you know, Hondo is is an A1000 figure. By that time, you've moved away from hydraulics and you're into pure electronic systems that are all precisely computer controlled. Uh, I had read that in the A100 days, the Wicked Witch days, the programming those things was a painstaking process and it could take up to eight hours to program one second of animation wow. on one of those. And when you think about the amount of animation the Wicked Witch had in particular, that's, you know, that's someone's year right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, like th before I forget about it, what well, one interesting thing about the Wicked Witch area, the whole Wizard of Oz area, was it was one of two portions of the ride where um, if we were had a busy day, we we'd had an, we had an A show and a B show. So the the way it worked was in, on busy days, you would run both shows, the A show, the B show, the A show would be your bandit, uh, your bandit show, so your cowboy show. And then the B show would be the gangster show. We could run without the A show. You could run just just ban or just gangster if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, and what would happen was, you know, as if, if you're running two two vehicles, the first vehicle would kind of speed through the first couple scenes. So you would go through the the you know the um, you know Footlight Parade, Wizard uh, 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 Singing in the Rain, and Mary Poppins. You'd kind of just just careen through it, honestly, like you wouldn't slow down at all uh, because what you're doing is you were making space between your vehicle and the the, the B vehicle. And so you would both kind of land at the the portions of the show where you'd interact with another cast member. You'd, you'd interact with a bandit or interact with a gangster. And then you would both move at the same speed up until the switch happened back over at Indiana Jones. And then the B vehicle would then 
just a whole butt to catch up to the A vehicle. And by that time, you would then both enter into the Wizard of Oz area. So that was that was the one scene where you'd have theoretically four vehicles or I mean, two two vehicles, but a tractor trailer. So four, you know, platforms of people on there. Mm -hmm. And if you had a full show like that, there was actually a microphone off to the side because the, the witch was designed to interact with just one person. And so she would always point at the driver of the first vehicle. And so if it was just, if you're just running a show where you didn't have the other, if it was just running a B show and you only had your one car, you would just use your microphone for the vehicle. You know, the, the one that actually feeds through the speakers. But if you had both vehicles, if you had all four of them going this, the back car. So the, the B show, they would, they wouldn't be able to hear you obviously on your microphone. So we had a separate microphone that you would you'd step off the vehicle, pick it up. And it played over the PA inside of the wizard of Oz section. So in Munchkinland, it would play over the PA. So all everyone could hear you on that mm-hmm. as opposed to just your vehicle. So I'm trying to think of interesting tech stuff that you might, you might well, no, find kind of cool. That's amazing. I didn't, I mean, I knew about the A show and B show because I had ridden the ride enough times. And by the end of it, you essentially only saw the B show. Um, yeah, yeah. You, they they weren't they never had a capacity that was enough where they needed to run both really, uh, and also I mean you know then you have half the num- number of cast members who have to be in costume and and perform yeah uh, which gets us into that 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 slippery slope where we're just going to complain about Disney so I'll back away. But well, you got the cool fire explosion if you're on the yeah. A show that was that was the one thing there was an awesome awesome so it was basically bandits robbing a bank in the old west mm-hmm. and they would throw dynamite into the store so that I can go into that a little bit so on an A show if you were the the you know the tour guide the bandit would pop out and he'd like take over your vehicle and so you would you would hear that someone's robbing the bank. So you're like, oh, robbing the bank. Let me go see what's going on. And you jump off the vehicle and then an animatronic would actually pull a gun on you. And you'd be like, oh, you have to kind of stick your hands up. And then, you know, then a, then an actual human would come out and they would need to have an interaction with them. And then at one point they get distracted. So you run into the bank and then the, the bandit would then throw dynamite into the bank. And then the whole thing would explode in fire, which is a really, really cool effect. And they did it a whole lot and it never seemed to have any issues, which is wild. But one neat thing is uh, the doors like so there's swinging doors to go in and out of the bank. Mm-hmm. Those doors were like six inches thick of fire padding and everything. And as the as the the, the cast member, th- the tour guide would actually go into the bank and they would have to push a button on the inside, basically saying they were clear. And so mm-hmm. once you would hold you would hit that and then the, the the cast member outside would hit the other one and that would trigger the explosion or basically say that it's OK to go. It would be like the green light to go. I think that was the case. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure we had to hold a button on the inside to basically notify the the system that everything was OK to, to go. But yeah, that was a fun show. It's like having the nuclear key where you have to insert it at the same time as <laughs> someone at the same else. Time. Make sure that everyone is on the same page. Yeah, uh, yeah. For those who who are wondering what we're even talking about, as, as Jack was saying, the the way the ride would progress is that you would stop. Uh, if you were the A show, you would stop at in the Western section, and then this scenario would play out, and a bandit would take temporarily take over your tour. Uh, they found the alien section very upsetting, uh, and then <laughs> if you were the B show, you did the same sort of thing, except it was in the gangster movie segment, which was a little further back and a gangster would come in and take over your tram temporarily. And in both cases, it gets resolved in the Indiana Jones ish section. Um, a little past that where you, you have, uh, both of both the gangster and the, the bandit end up being too greedy and they try to get a sacred 
gem and end up being <laughs> uh, fried and the tour guide magically returns and yeah apparently from the dead in the in the a story <laughs> yeah. version well it's movie magic right <laughs> yes that's true that was that was always like that the scene was amazing i loved it because first of all um so the way it worked was there's music playing over the pas it's called the anubis scene is what it is mm-hmm. is where the big gym is and so the the gangster the gangster of the bandit would be like, hey, "You guys wait here. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that gym, you know." And they then they they'd walk up these stairs, and the music would play. And there's a lightning bolt, like a certain like lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. When they heard that, they would hit a little button, like a little like arcade button on uh, on the actual scenery, which would then trigger the halt unbeliever, which is like this big you know booming voice. And then the the team or the cast member would then re- react to that, and then they'd be like, "Ah, oh, whatever," and they'd put their hand on the gym. Smoke would go and the smoke dissipated. It would reveal the skeleton standing there, like reaching for the, the gym. And then, you know, it turns out like, oh, that was actually your 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 tour guide was the the other person. Um, that was a neat effect because that was actually a, it was a door. So it was a rotating door mm-hmm. that uh, the smoke would the smoke would, you know, there's enough of it to co- to, you know, cover the door. And then it would it would spin around. And then the the you know, the band of the gangster would hold the door closed so it didn't because it was just on a little magnet. And so like if, if they just kind of walk through it, it would swing and then sometimes swing back or be like halfway open. So they would have to hold it closed. And then um, and then you reveal like, hey, it's me. And then you'd run back down and, and then add another lightning bolt. You would then start your vehicle up to get the timing right. And um, some of the more uh, some of the more, like, I mean, you have relationships with all the people there. And so some of the people like to mess with you. So some of the gangsters <laughs> or bandits, they would like to take the microphone cable and just wind it all around the steering wheel. And so you'd go to grab it and it was just stuck and you'd have to sit there, not like lean over it and like talk into the microphone by your wheel while you're trying to <laughs> unwind it and stuff. That was that was always fun. But that, that was a cool scene. That was a really neat, really neat bit. That movie, that, that wasn't really any specific movie, the, the Anubis scene. But right. right before it was Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was awesome and then you know alien was fantastic too that little the goopy stuff in the background is always super gross i love that yeah no the the effects on the ride were uh like i said it really was pulling you into the experiences if you were in the fiction of those movies it is by the way in no way shape or form at all similar to actually being on a movie set. But if you had been magically pulled into the <laughs> movies themselves, it was like that. Uh, and yeah. yeah, that's, it was, it was one of those rides, very charming ride. As you, as you say, it wasn't exactly like a thrill ride or anything, but again, like to this day, my favorite ride at Disney is still Pirates of the Caribbean. I like the story based rides. Uh, I mean, I like mm-hmm. the thrill rides too. Don't get me wrong. I love a good thrill ride. <laughs> Loved Guardians of the Galaxy. Needed about 20 minutes to recover after I wrote it, but I loved it. Really? Um, oh, man, I, 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 was, I love that ride, man. I ride that all day. Uh, I, I've, Jack, I've reached the age where, <laughs> where, where thrill rides, I have, a, I have a strict limit. And after I hit oh, it, man. I cannot go past it. Actually, the worst, though, are for me the, um, the ones that incorporate uh, VR elements or screen elements. Those, those okay. can get me a little. Yeah. For a forbidden journey over at Universal, I have to look at my feet during the screen portions. I can't do it anymore. Like my, even like Simpsons ride, I get a little like little queasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife and I we we made the mistake of we decided to do park hopping back when you could easily do that. You can still do it today. It's just <laughs> not as easy. Um, and we did uh, the flights of passage first, so that's a VR based ride. We hopped over to Hollywood Studios and did Star Tours. That's another VR kind of ride. <laughs> We hopped on over to Epcot and we did Soren, which we usually were totally fine on that. But 
it turned out that that was one screen-based ride too many. And we both kind of <laughs> felt that that lingering motion, not, not like acute motion sickness, but more like, yeah. I don't feel right. And then we decided to get out of the heat and went into the uh, China film, which is a 360-degree film. Mm. The screen is completely in a 360-degree arc, which is amazing in itself, and I should probably talk about that technology at some point. But that disoriented us to the point where we spent probably the next three hours just sitting in the World Showcase and people <laughs> watching because we couldn't we were afraid to move. Uh, so yeah, See, I have re- you gotta, I go, you gotta go to living with the land, man. You gotta <laughs> yes. go to li- living with the land after doing Soren, let it cool yep. off a little bit. See how the plants are made or, or maybe the, uh, the, well, what's now the three caballeros ride, but used to be the, uh-huh. the river of time ride over in Mexico. That's always, there's never a line for it. <laughs> it's always cool. So I like that <laughs> <Absolutely>. one. <laughs> I was told, I don't know if this is true or not. I mm-hmm. imagine you might know because you know mm-hmm. a whole lot about animatronics mm-hmm. when great movie ride shut down, which was about five years ago at this point, I think, I don't know exactly when it shut down. The rumor was that the Wicked Witch, the eight hundred, the A one hundred animatronic, moved to Pirates of the Caribbean, and now it's red. So, like, supposedly, red is the old Wicked Witch from Movie Ride. Is that true? Do you know if that's true? I, I it, cannot. Uh, I cannot say the, if it's true or false because I don't okay. know the answer to that. But I can tell you. I mean, it, red is a an A one hundred figure. So yeah. Red is of the same generation as Wicked Witch. Whether it's exactly the same uh, a skeleton underneath, I am not certain. There's no reason it couldn't be. It certainly could yeah. be. Because these the, the big innovation of A100 was that you had far more options when it came to programming the figure and a, a much larger range of motion if you wanted to have a very expressive figure. Uh, you know, the fact that if Scarlet the Pirate is, in fact, the former Wicked Witch of the West, that means she's also an animatronic that was altered by the company Sarcos, which is mostly known as a military and industrial robotics company. <laughs> so what I'm saying is don't mess with the woman pirate because <laughs> maybe she's a Terminator. I don't know. Yeah, she might. She might turn. I mean, just looking at a photo of Red, her her right hand uh, she's holding she's holding a gun, so her, mm-hmm. her right hand is really not moving much, and her left hand is holding the bottle, and she moves it a lot. Mm-hmm. Which, similar to the Wicked Witch, she had her broom in one hand, and then her other hand was pointing a lot. So, I I have been told that's her. I don't know if it's true. In in my head, canon, one hundred percent, that's the Wicked Witch. And then I guess they made another one for the Hollywood Park or the Anaheim Park. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I'd, totally- I'd like to think uh, you know she she landed over there. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm gonna adopt the same headcanon because Pirates is one of my favorite <laughs> rides. I love the great movie ride. To think about uh, that legacy living on under a different costume and uh, skin, I think is brilliant. So I'm gonna go with that too. So uh, a lot of people would say that the so at one point you go to Casablanca in, mm-hmm. in Great Movie Ride. And there was a plane there. It was basically recreating the scene that, you know, you know, uh, our problems don't amount to a hill of beans. Yeah. And so there was a plane in the in the background that would like slowly spin up and stuff. And a lot of people said like, oh, that's actually the plane from the movie. They would use that as fact. That was not the plane from the movie. A hundred percent was not the plane from the movie. As a matter of fact, the back of that plane ended up over at Jungle Cruise. So mm-hmm. there's a crashed plane in Jungle Cruise, and the rear section of the plane is it, basically they split it in half, put half a Jungle Cruise, half at Movie Ride. So if you ever hear that fact, that is a lie. That is 100 percent a lie. I do love that both halves of the plane were existing in uh, uh, cast 
member guided attractions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's one of the beautiful things about Jungle Cruise. I mean, it's a very corny ride, but it's still a ride where you get to see someone going through a performance. And if they haven't reached the Skipper Dan uh, <laughs> part of their career, then they can really be a lot of fun. Um, like you say, it all depends on who you get and what kind of mood they're in. I mean, oh, we're yeah. all human beings, but hopefully you get someone on a good day. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I heard one rumor that that plane might have been used not Obviously not in Casablanca, but possibly in one of the Tarzan films. But whether Mm. that's true or not, I don't know. It's just, uh, again, there is a Tarzan section in the – or there was. I can't use the present tense anymore. In the great movie ride. But uh, uh, they didn't use the plane in that one. I had to go in the Casablanca section. Stick around because we have a little bit more about the great movie ride and and Disney and, and Jack Patillo to talk about. And we'll do that right after this break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, 
Talladega, the Chicago street course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. This has been a great talk. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate your time. But one thing I really want to talk about before we wrap up is your podcast, Annual Pass, where you dedicate episodes to all things theme and amusement park oriented. There are episodes that are about specific attractions or shows. There are interviews with people who have worked at these various places or have even invented some of the attractions that people know and love today. And uh, you have two great co-hosts. You've got Jeff and BK. So you've got Jeff, who's an old grumpy man like myself. Uh, I think I think he and I were born a week apart. And then you've wow, got BK, okay. a youngin who has a totally different perspective and thinks of you two as her dad's. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Manual pass is definitely one of those things where uh, I was looking for something that like, what what could I make a podcast about that I'm passionate about? And if you have only heard me on this podcast here, you can tell that I love theme parks. And so mm-hmm. uh, I made a pitch about like, hey, let's do a show all about theme park attractions and then we'll go into it. And we've been doing it now for about 70 episodes and it's been so much fun. And the theme park community, like because, you know, obviously there's a big theme park vlogging community. They've been so friendly and I was so nervous getting into it because like I've been listening to, you know, like theme park stop and defunct land, yesterday world you know all of these amazing shows and i've had the opportunity now to talk to these creators and everyone is so friendly and so nice and just being in this space has been so much fun and i, f- I think we're, we're kind of finding our footing now we're having a really good time with it we're more of a light-hearted kind of look at things but if you want to find out more about a specific attraction we go into it we do ride throughs but like you said we do interviews as a matter of fact we recorded one today uh, with a woman who was super knowledgeable about halloween horror nights and the lore of halloween horror nights and so we did a whole we're doing a whole episode on that and it's just it's a lot of fun because you know we like you said we've had imagineers on we've had people designing rides for universal and hearing the stories about the what goes into the making of these attractions like we've oddly enough we've talked to two different gentlemen who had to pitch steven spielberg on attractions <laughs> on different ones <laughs> one for one for velocicoaster uh the Jurassic park themed one or Jurassic world themed one and then one for men in black so it's like and like hearing their stories apparently steven spielberg's a super nice guy so that's cool that's good to hear but uh but yeah it's been so much fun and you know if you want to listen to it i'd love for that that'd be fantastic we are annual pass you go to youtube.com slash annual pass or find us anywhere you get your podcast spotify rover roosterteeth.com slash annual pass like wherever you want to go to find it please give it a listen it's uh it's a lot of fun and uh you know as long as people are listening i'm going to keep making it so that, that's the the dream at least you know any the, the 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 whole goal was to get uh my parent company to buy me a ticket to go to a theme park so <laughs> i still pay for my annual pass i'll say that much my, I mean, my disney annual passes so i work but, uh, I, we'll see. I work for iheart and i have yet to to leverage that into concert tickets, but it's always in the back of my mind, Jack. Uh, yeah. Annual nice, pass nice. is a great listen. I highly recommend it for people to go check out. It's first of all, you will, I can't think of another word to describe Jack's performance on annual pass besides exuberant. Uh, I think that that is, <laughs> that is the appropriate word to I'll use. Take that. When, I'll when take that. Your ride throughs are so enthusiastic. That's what I, I love oh, the yeah. most is that it's, it's like, imagine the friendliest carnival barker walking you through <laughs> the, the attraction that you've always wanted to be on, but you haven't. And, and I look forward to hearing a lot more. You've had some great guests and, um, and, and all your topics are always fun. And it's always fun to hear the interaction between you and the other hosts. So definitely yeah. do check that out. Um, are, are there 
Are there any theme parks or attractions that you're eagerly looking forward to that you haven't experienced yet? Either ones that are on the the cusp of coming out or just ones that exist, but you haven't managed to get there. Man, I mean, really a lot of stuff outside the U.S. That's what that's what I want to do. Like, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to go to Disneyland Paris and, you know, Disney mm-hmm. Studios Paris. Um, that was great. Actually, uh, this year we went to Thorpe Park in England, mm. uh, just south of Heathrow, which was really cool. I got to go on the, the Saw ride and like the Walking Dead, the ride. It was like <laughs> really intense. But apparently Alton Towers is the European park. So we got to go order to the, the London park. So we got to go to Alton Towers next. But anywhere in Japan, Shanghai, I mean, there's there's so many amazing things and mm-hmm. a lot of stuff like, you know, I, I try not to watch ride videos on mm-hmm. stuff that I would like to go on someday. So I watched the Tron light cycle right through because I'm like, I'm probably not going to go to Shanghai anytime soon. And then, of course, like immediately later, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to put it in Epcot. And that was six years ago. So we'll see if it ever actually does open. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I I, I love any sort of theme park. I love small little like family mom and pop parks. I Mm. I love the big ones. I'll, I'll ride anything. At this point, I've pretty much given myself up where I'm like, I don't I don't fear being on an attraction. I love them. And Excellent. so um, that, that's a blast. So I, I will do anything you, like so we so many people like, oh, you to come to this park. Like, I would love to. I would love to. Like, I'm never going to say no. Like, I'm, I'm always I'm always up for whatever. I want to go to stuff. So um, I'm actually going to Six Flags Great America, the one near Chicago mm, um, okay. later this month. And then ideally, we're going out to Halloween Horror Night sometime either towards the end of September or October. So I'll be back out in Florida, hopefully soon to uh, go to some parks and you know, make that annual pass pay for itself. <laughs> well, if you get down to Six Flags over Georgia, you can you can ride what was formerly known as the Monster Plantation. And then I'll tell you all about the problematic history of that particular attraction, <laughs> because that that has undergone a pretty massive thematic change, as you would imagine, from an attraction that was yeah. previously known as Monster Plantation set in Georgia. <laughs> Um, then it became Splash Mountain. So it's all good. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, we'll make that Princess and the Frog one day. All right. Yeah. Well, well, Jack, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. And uh, yeah, feel free to come back anytime. We'll talk theme parks till the cows come home. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. Anytime I get a chance to talk theme parks, I'm up for it. Once again, I want to thank Jack Patillo for coming on to this show. You know, when he co-founded Achievement Hunter, that was back in 2008, the summer of 2008, which is the exact same summer that this show launched. So he and I have been in related business for a very long time. Uh, He has seen phenomenal success and has done amazing things. Seriously, you need to go and check out his charity work uh, because it's truly inspiring stuff. And it got me to participate on my own, not in any like big way, uh, many times. So check that out too. It's for a good cause. It's for uh, children's health care, which is obviously a great cause. And uh, yeah, check out Annual Pass as well. It's a fun podcast. And uh, if you love theme parks and you love learning more about the attractions and what they're like and, and trivia about them, it's a, it's a really fun listen. So check those out. If you want to get in touch with me and suggest topics that I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, tell you what you can do. You can download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. Navigate over to Tech Stuff. There's a little microphone icon you can click on. And there you can just leave me a message about the 30 seconds in length. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is Tech Stuff HSW. 
And I hope to do more interviews in the future. Uh, they're a little challenging because, you know, scheduling can be, uh, you know, it's tough. People are busy. And and so I will do my best because I love having someone else on the show to talk to, get their perspective, learn things that I can't find out just through you know, research on my own, because these are the people who are actually there. I want to do more of that in the future. If you have people that you think I should have on as a guest, send those my way. Uh, I can't promise that I'll get them, but I can at least try. And with that, I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.